Well, good morning, Salem family. Uh, Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word with you, go to your phone and just download the Bible app, okay? You're going to need it in a few moments because we're going to turn around a little bit uh, as we get into the sermon here. Today we get to the fifth of the eight Beatitudes. So that means we're halfway through them. We're going to work through the last half here over the next several weeks. Um, The fifth Beatitude is... Verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5, very simply, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now we're going to start pulling that apart here in just a moment, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer together and just ask that He bless our time in His Word, okay? So would you pray with me? Our Father, I come to You, and, and Lord, I know without a doubt that You've got something that You want to show us from Your Word today. Father, I know that because I know what you've done in my life this week through this one simple little verse. So, Father, whatever it is you want to do in these next moments as we study your word, as we pour ourselves into understanding it, but then also how to understanding how to apply it to our lives, Father, may our lives be yours. Get rid of any distraction we brought into the room with us, and Lord, may we focus on you and you alone in the next moments. Oh, God, you're a great God, a wonderful, wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Lord, thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, the first four um, Beatitudes that we work through really kind of heavily have to do with our relationship with God. Okay, we started off the first week with blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means that we acknowledge that we are spiritually bankrupt with no way for us to provide life, a relationship with God. We can't do that. There's no way for us to do that on our own. Okay, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are nothing without him. No hope whatsoever for eternal life. But it's from that place of bankruptcy that we then move to mourning our sin, because the second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn. It's talking about mourning our sin, mourning the state of the sin on this earth, okay? Um, we, we, we grieve sin. We, we feel the depth of the curse of sin on this earth. And then it produces in us a longing for God. God, things are not as they should be, but we know that you are as you should be. You're perfect. We want you, okay? So the poor in spirit leads to the mourning. The, the mourning then leads to meekness, And you remember I talked about how meekness is that energy under control. It's the energy under control. It's it's submitting to God in every facet of life. God, you have control of my life. I have no, no right to it. So you have control of all of my life. And then last week we talked about hungering and thirsting for, what was it? Righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, longing after legal righteousness, first of all, which is which is righteousness between God and man. It's social righteousness, which is, which is a right standing with other people around us, and it's a moral righteousness, which is a healthy, strong, pure life. Uh, that's what we talked about last week, the, the hungering, the thirsting for righteousness. The fifth beatitude that we're talking about today is really the first four of ones that talk about how all of this is manifest in the life of the believer. So if you are poor in spirit... If you mourn sin, 
if you are meek, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be merciful towards others. Um, You will be pure in heart. You will be a peacemaker. And ultimately, though, we find there that you are also going to be persecuted. We're going to find that the last week we're together in in this series. That's how this whole thing works. So Jesus says right here in these last, in the first of these last four Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. A lot of times we use the words mercy and grace together, don't we? It's like they just kind of roll off the tongue. <laughs> mercy and grace, grace and mercy. But they have really different meanings. So before we jump into mercy, I want to talk about here for just a moment what grace is. So we can understand that before we truly understand mercy, okay? First of all, grace comes from the Greek word charis, okay? Charis. Charis means um, loving kindness, favor, goodwill, credit, gift, or benefit. My four boys love matchbox cars. So like the Hot Wheels cars, you know what I'm talking about? My kids love those things. In fact, if you go into our house up to their, their, their room upstairs, there's a bin. It's about this big, and it's one of those three-drawer bins, you know, and it's completely full of cars, little cars. And I could almost guarantee you that there's not a single one in there that's identical to another one in there. They're all separate. The boys love those things. They play with them all the time. Now, Granddaddy, I think he also loves them because periodically he will just, just buy them matchbox cars. No special occasion. They didn't earn it for any reason. It wasn't something that he said, you know, if you do this, then I'll get you some matchbox. He just shows up with them. Now, I'm pretty sure he likes playing with them just as much as, as they like playing with them. Um, and maybe that's part of the motivation for it. But, but honestly, there's nothing that they did to earn those matchbox cars. It's just, it's a gift. It's, it's grace that he passes on to them. Grace is receiving a gift that you don't deserve. Grace is receiving a gift that you don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life, but God offers it as a free gift. Uh, We don't deserve the gift of a church home with other Christians where we can worship together and we can study God's Word together, but God supernaturally binds us together. That's grace. We don't deserve a lot of things. But God freely gives us people and he gives us things that we don't deserve. That's the grace of God at work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, Paul's speaking and he says, And God is able, get this, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to make all grace abound to you. It's free, it's plentiful, he says. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that you can succeed and so that you can thrive in life, God, uh, he, he lavishly gives us his grace. But this beatitude is talking about mercy. It's not talking about grace. Remember, I share this with you so you can understand that a lot of times we use those words, maybe even synonymous, synonymously, like they mean the same thing, but they don't. So grace is receiving something that we don't deserve, but, but let's go to mercy now, okay? Mercy is the Greek word ilios. Ilios is this. It is compassion with redemptive action. It is compassion with redemptive action. That's mercy, okay? Compassion we understand. Redemptive action we understand. But it's the two of these things together. Listen, you can have compassion without redemptive action. You can have compassion without redemptive action. That's just feeling sorry for somebody, even, but you don't do anything about it. Or maybe you don't have the ability to do something about it. 
Just this morning, I'm scrolling through Twitter, and, um, and I see a video where there is an, a, a pretty clear case of police brutality. I don't know where it was. I have no idea the context for it, so let me give that disclaimer here at the beginning. But a guy is, is just, just walking, and, and he's handcuffed behind his back. He's being walked by another police officer, and another officer just comes up and decks him, knocks him out cold. Okay, so immediately, what I feel is compassion. But it's not mercy because I haven't added any kind of redemptive action to it. You can have compassion without redemptive action. It's not until you take action on your compassion that it becomes mercy. Now, on the other side of that, listen, you can have redemptive action without compassion, where there's no emotion that's attached to it. In that case, you've done a really good deed, great job, but there's no heart behind it. So why'd you do it? Mercy is both. Mercy is looking on a person or a circumstance and you feel compassion. Then you take action to somehow redeem the person or redeem the circumstance. That's mercy. Folks, that's what God has done for us. He saw us in our state of sin and he saw us in our state of rebellion against him. We were enemies of God. He took compassion, he, he had compassion, and then what did he do? He took redemptive action. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ from the dead. It was because of God's great mercy that we have hope for this life and for eternal life. His compassion with redemptive action is what gives us life. Here's, here's a, another definition of mercy, okay? Mercy is not receiving a penalty that you do deserve. It's not receiving a penalty that you do deserve. Listen, we were dead in our sin, fully deserving that death, by the way, okay? We absolutely deserved it. But God had compassion on us, and he took redemptive action. He did not give us the penalty of sin and death that we deserved um, very rightfully. Now, in Jesus' day, as Jesus is presenting this beatitude, mercy is something that the Jews longed for, but they rarely ever saw it. The religious leaders were the ones that you would think would be the merciful people. But if they caught you disobeying any part of the law, they condemned you immediately. There was no mercy there. All right, so, so the religious leaders didn't offer any mercy. What about the political leaders? Well, who was the political leaders? It was Rome. And they certainly didn't offer any kind of mercy. In fact, they were, they were known for their brutality rather than their mercy. There was a, a, a um, Roman philosopher, and nobody seems to know his name, but, but he once called mercy a disease of the soul. Mercy is a disease of the soul. And that really fit with the whole mindset of the Roman Empire was no mercy whatsoever. You see that in the cross. The Romans perfected the art of killing a person. It took days. It was a brutal, brutal death, but they perfected that art. They were brutal. They were not merciful. Now, ideally, every single culture has a religious structure that is defined by its mercy. It should also have a political power that utilizes mercy to ensure that justice is prevalent. But these people didn't have either one. So when they hear Jesus talking about blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, they didn't have a full picture of what that looks like. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and he embodies and he exemplifies mercy. 
So the, pre- the people have um, not only a teacher to teach them about mercy, but they've got a model to live it out. And we've got the same thing today when we go to God's Word. We've got, we've got not only teaching about mercy, but we can look to the life of Jesus to see it lived out. And here's a question for us to dwell on for a couple of moments before we look at the example of how Jesus lived out mercy, okay? What is the ultimate source of mercy? For us today, you look and see, okay, where can, where can I find the ultimate source, the greatest source, the, the unending source of mercy? Well, honestly, you look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where we find the source of mercy. Because let's be honest, anybody can show mercy. Anybody can have that compassion that translates into redemptive action. We see that in the way that parents treat their kids. A, a kid does something that they shouldn't do, and the parent chooses mercy for the kid. We see that in the way that supervisors operate, and they, um, they, they sometimes show mercy to their employees. I told you a story a couple of weeks ago about an employee who came to church, and she told the pastor she came to church because her supervisor, who could have and should have fired her for something, instead showed her mercy, and he said he did that because of the mercy that Jesus had shown him. Right? We see, we see mercy kind of played out in our, in our world around us sometimes. But there is something about biblical Christian mercy that's just different. It's just different. It's a mercy that has no limits. It's not prejudice. It's not partial. It's mercy that's always fresh. In fact, Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verses 22 through 23 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And then get this, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Uh, there's a devotional book that I read most, most days throughout the year, and I've told you about this book before, and if you don't have a devotional, then I would highly recommend it, but it's called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. At one point in that book, he says this about mercy. One of the stunning realities of the Christian life is that in a world where everything is in some state of decay, God's mercies never grow old. They never run out. They never are ill-timed. They never dry up. They never grow weak. They never get weary. They never fail to meet the need. They never disappoint. They never, ever fail because they really are new every morning. Form-fitted for the challenges, disappointments, sufferings, temptations, and struggles with sin within and without are the mercies of our Lord. Sometimes they are all-inspiring mercies, rebuking mercies, strengthening mercies, hope-giving mercies, heart-exposing mercies, rescuing mercies, transforming mercies, forgiving mercies, provision-making mercies, uncomfortable mercies, glory-revealing mercies, truth-illumining mercies, courage-giving mercies. That's the kind of mercy that God provides. Yeah, the source is the cross, and we're going to talk more about that in just a moment, how it is the greatest example of mercy that there is. But God's mercies are new every single day. Jesus showed the mercy that we are supposed to live um, when he was living. Everything about his life showed us what mercy is supposed to look like. Now remember, mercy is compassion with redemptive action. So how did Jesus practice compassion with redemptive action? Let's look at some examples, okay? So here's where you want to take your Bibles and turn first over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 11. (laughs) 
We're going to move quickly through here several passages, several stories that we see from Jesus where he lives out mercy. Luke chapter 7, reading in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had, what's that word? Compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. All right, so you got the compassion with the redemptive action, right? Turn over now to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you're in Luke, it's the next book. So John chapter 8. Near the beginning of the chapter, we'll start reading in verse 3. John 8, 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, in other words, they're peppering him with questions, what should we do, what should we do? He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bit down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Once again, this is compassion with redemptive action. Now back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. In Bible times, there was a disease called leprosy. Where if you came across a leprous person, you're not supposed to touch them. You're not supposed to breathe near them. It's like the modern equivalent to somebody saying, I've got COVID and you slapping a mask on real fast. It was stay away from me. Don't get near me. But here's what happens in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus wasn't supposed to touch this man, but there was compassion along with redemptive action. Matthew chapter 20 now. Matthew chapter 20. So just a few chapters over. We're going to start reading in verse 30. Matthew 20, verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Once again, there was compassion with redemptive action. Folks, the, the mercy 
that Jesus showed in each one of these quick stories that we just read is a mercy that looks on the need, whatever the need was. Sometimes it was physical. One time it was a dead man. And we can see countless stories like this all throughout Jesus' life. But Jesus looked on the need with compassion, and then he takes action to see that sorrow and see that heartache redeemed. But here's the deal. Jesus is not on earth anymore. He's not here to go around and and to provide mercy, to provide that compassion with redemptive action. He's not here, is he? So what's God's plan now for mercy being carried out in light of Jesus not being here? It's me and you. It's us as Christians. We are the mercy agents that God has left here to carry out the compassion with the redemptive action. Now listen, we can't heal people the way Jesus could. And if you walk up to somebody who's blind and say, be healed, they may get upset. But that's not our purpose. We're not supposed to be healers, per se, the way Jesus was. We're simply supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, a really simple question, okay? Why should the Christian be merciful? Well, because of what I just shared with you, that we are Jesus' plan for taking mercy to this broken world. But how do we do that? And in what ways are we supposed to do that? What needs are we to meet? Well, first of all, we do meet those physical needs that people have. But secondly, we meet the spiritual needs that people have. When the early church was first launched, they were radically merciful to the people around them. Whatever physical needs they could meet, they did. If at all possible, they reached into people's lives and they did something about whatever heartache they were experiencing or whatever difficulty they were experiencing, they they touched people. They were merciful in in a physical way to them. But their mercy wasn't just physical, it was also spiritual as well. The whole message of the gospel is that God is offering mercy to people who don't deserve it. The gospel is God looking on mankind as a whole with compassion that leads to redemptive action. That's the message that these Christians proclaimed. In fact, we look at the beginning of the church and and they're preaching messages such as, repent therefore that your sins may be blotted out. Your sins were held against you with God, but now they're gone. That's mercy. Acts chapter 3, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are lost, but if you just call on God's name, you will be saved. That's mercy. That's the message that they were preaching, that they were proclaiming. So in this early church, listen, not only is mercy being shown in the meeting of physical needs, this mercy is being shown by pointing people to a much greater mercy that supersedes everything else that they could offer. There is nothing greater than the mercy of God that saves us from an eternity in hell apart from Him. There's nothing at all greater than that. Now, on the other side of that, there's not much that's worse than for a person who has been shown great mercy refusing to show another person any level of mercy. Comes to mind to whom much is given is much required. So we come back to this beatitude, and here's what we read. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the merciful. Congratulations to the merciful. Joyful are the merciful. Because they are merciful, they shall receive mercy. Here's a statement that may help us understand this a little bit, okay? 
As Christians, we are merciful because we have been shown mercy. However, we are also shown mercy when we are merciful. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you have been shown the greatest level of mercy imaginable. There is, there, you're never going to lose that. But there's other mercies that God blesses us with all throughout this Christian life. So as we talked about earlier, mercies that are new every single morning. But how many times have you done something foolish? And God has every right to discipline you. And he doesn't give you what you deserve. I truly believe that what Jesus is saying in this, in this uh, beatitude is that God will grant continued mercy on us when we are merciful toward other people. As we show mercy, God will continue to lavish his mercy on us. And that's a really strong reason to be merciful. You know, I'm going to be merciful because I know God will lavish his mercy on us. But I truly believe that the strongest motivator for being merciful is simply the fact that God has shown so much mercy to us. Ephesians chapter 2 you read about who you were before Christ. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Then you get to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God, being rich in mercy... I'm pretty sure that God is so rich in mercy based on how much he's blessed me with mercy. He's got to have one great big storehouse somewhere. This week I have been absolutely captivated by the reminder of the mercy that God has shown me. So as I'm reading the scriptures, and, and you know, I, I cut out half of the scripture that I had down to share with us here today. As I'm recalling this, and I'm thinking about... The mercy that God's shown me. Even though I was his enemy, I was dead in my sin. He made me alive. There's not even words to describe the mercy of God. The scope of it is incredible. Donald Gray Barnhouse says it this way. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of the world of God, all of the world of God for man's salvation passed out of the realm of prophecy and became historical fact. I know there's a typo in there, but I can't figure out where it's at, okay? I'm sorry. God has now had mercy upon us. For anyone to pray, God have mercy on me, is the equivalent of asking him to repeat the sacrifice of Christ. All the mercy that God ever will have on man, he has already had when Christ died. That is the totality of mercy. There cannot be any more God can now act towards us in grace because he has already had all mercy upon us. The fountain is now opened and flowing, and it flows freely. Church, our number one motivation, motivation for being merciful is simply that the greatest mercy imaginable has already been given to us. There's, a, there's an author and Bible teacher by the name of Jen Wilkin, and um, in writing about God's mercy, she tells this story. She says, my husband Jeff is an excellent driver. He's never had an accident except two incidents in high school, which hardly bear mentioning. Several years ago, I was driving across town to get to a speaking engagement during a Friday night rush hour traffic. 
Having waited three cycles to make a left turn at a busy intersection, I accelerated through a yellow light and continued on my way. A couple of weeks later, a ticket came in the mail with photo evidence of my depravity. I had run the red light. Justice dictated that it would take $200 to clear my good name. Or so I thought. Let's just say we didn't have an extra $200 laying around. And my embarrassment over the whole thing caused me to stall on paying the ticket. Jeff noticed that the deadline to pay was upon me and gave me a gentle reminder. I was leaving town and he generously agreed to get online and handle the payment. That's when he discovered that it was not, in fact, my good name that was at stake, but his. Because the car I was driving was registered to him, my ticket had been put on his driving record, his excellent driving record. His response? It's taken care of. Mercy. He paid my ticket without grumbling, and my guilt was assigned to his record. In the eyes of the great state of Texas, the demands of justice have been met, albeit by another. I did not receive what I deserved, but Jeff did in my place. If you're a Christian here today, you're not receiving what you deserve, death. Because Jesus paid that price in our place. If you're not a Christian, then your debt hasn't been paid yet. Jesus, yeah, he paid the price there on the cross, but you haven't accepted it. The Bible's clear that all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and we will be saved. That, that mercy I've been talking about, that, that God who is rich in mercy is ready to forgive us. To take onto his account our sin. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus added to our account. Our, our account's clean. What a wonderful God we serve. So let's praise him. Praise team, would you come up here? Church, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great mercy. And now, Father, help us to be merciful as the hands, of Jesus, hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. Help us to be merciful as you've been merciful to us. And Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.